The text is Joshua 24 and 15, and it reads, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers have served that were on the other side of the flood, to the gods of the Amorites, in which whose land you dwell. That for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you today for your goodness to us. We ask you, God, that the Word of God will do its most magnificent work in our hearts and lives today. We ask you, number one, God, that we can look at our culture, dissect culture, and look within our own body of Christ and begin to look at areas into which we can grow. And we press it up against the good scripture. For it's in your name of Christ we pray. Amen and amen. You notice on the back of your bulletin today, we have uh, something that Barna put out. Which Barna Group is a, an organization that specializes in statistics. Uh, more geared towards the church and Christian life. So Barna has done extensive research as to... Uh, why young people fall away from the church or why they leave the church or what areas we could grow at as far as evangelism and what areas we can grow at as far as a church body where we are failing at as far as uh, evangelism goes and really recently they have been focusing in on young folks. Now over this weekend, Friday and Saturday, we've been, we played the movie Courageous which speaks of fathers rising up and being the man which God called you to be in your family. Now, I think more than anything, if we are to build a courageous church, we need to build a courageous home. We need to be men and women in our households who say one thing and mean it. Instead of being hypocritical, saying one thing and meaning another. I ask you today, when we make this commitment to say, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so you might say, well, my children are done and grown and moved out. But I would say that even in the body of Christ, there's little children and little feet running around in here that we can help raise in the ways of the Lord as well. Building a courageous church. If you'll notice on the back of this bulletin, Barna Group come out with actually ten things, and six of them we'll talk about this morning, and the other four we'll talk about in a passing glance. Uh, but you'll notice it says three out of every five young Christians disconnect from the local church either permanently or for an extended period of time after the age of 15. Now, in an effort to combat this trend, the Barnett Group conducted research to discover why young Christians turn away from the church. They found the top ten reasons. And also, to add to this, they say... They ask this, it says, consider how your church might respond to each of these concerns and how they can better reach this young generation for Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've paid attention to the news or culture or our public schools, you'll notice that we are not on the fast track to having a strong Christian background. <laughs> now, I'm speaking worldwide here. You'll notice that there are a, a few attempts to push everything that pertains to God, Christianity, the Bible, 
out of the public school, out of our courts. We'll notice that this push has been going on for quite a few, uh, few years. But I want us to pay our attention and focus our attention to the body of Christ. How are we going to be a church that stands for truth in an age that says you can make your own truth, which really distorts the idea of truth altogether and turns it into something that is grotesque and distorted, making it not truth at all? Say, for instance, if I say I want to make my own truth and what is good for you is what is good for you and not for me, I have made my own truth, then it is something other than truth and not absolute at all. I would say to you to build a church that is courageous means today that each individual, each individual follower of Christ is going to have to make a stand sometimes in the light of adversity. So he, these are the six questions when they were asked why young Christians turn away from the church. Now us as adults, those that are in the body of Christ, we see young kids come and go all the time. And I would say to you that some of these will pertain to us, some of these will hit us, some of these might not necessarily directly hit us. But let's look at number one. Number one is this. Churches seem overproductive. Churches seem overproductive. Now this might seem kind of odd to you, but think about this. How many churches have uh, ice cream and pizza and and movies, and popcorn, and cookouts, and all this type of things to get people to come into our worship with us, to come into our churches. And I see churches in many ways, and in many churches, as an attempt to draw people into the building. Primarily, I want to see our productivity as a body of Christ drawing people to Jesus Christ other than drawing them to activities. And am I saying the activities are bad? No. As long as we have the right motives in mind. We draw them in with the sole purpose of drawing them and leading them to the foot of the cross and introducing them to our loving Savior, Christ, who is the only one that can transform a young man's life, a young woman's life. It isn't ice cream, movies, it isn't even the fellowship in so much that is that Jesus is what changes a person's life. Now I see churches that have so many activities that they get bogged down and they forget that we are a church that is to build disciples. We are to make disciples and take that gospel to the nation. That a church that is overproductive with all types of activities can seem to forget that we are to build discipleship and training within our walls. We are to build young families that are centered on the gospel. We are to minister to those who have came into the church and have spent years serving the Lord, we are now, we, hey, we need to minister to those folks as, as well. Those people who can't even, who, who can't get to the house of the Lord, we need to somehow be able to minister to those folks as well. So it isn't so much as the church is overproductive when they come in, but we need to be overflowing as well. But there is only so much pizza, there's only so much hot dogs, ice cream and movies before the people will get tired and want something with some substance. We live in a generation when the mind seems to be enlightened and young minds want to know. When we get right down to the heart of it, sensationalism will wear off. 
the hype of activities will wear off and where the rubber meets the road, people are going to be wanting truth. We live in a day and age where truth it seems to be sought out like a treasure. But there's no one that can deliver truth other than the Scripture. Think of this. We have the words of life and death in our hands and is a treasure. And so we are to build young disciples. It isn't found in the substance of activities. It is found in the substance of how the man or woman handles the Scripture and how they impart that into their families. We need to filter everything we do not based on the quantity overproductive, not on the quantity of what we do, but the quality of what we do. Now, having activities is nothing wrong in and of itself, but to make sure our activities are focused on Christ Jesus and His kingdom. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This first point here, churches seem unproductive, lead right directly into the next, the next logical objection, and that is this. Churches seem to be shallow. Our church experience seems shallow, they might say. So they got tired of the pizza, they got tired of the ice cream, they got tired of the activities, and so now they're left with something that is kind of a, a, a shell of what the church should be. They're left with something that is shallow. Now some of these points I think will be, you know, we will find are more like a smoke screen. And what I mean by a smoke screen, sometimes you'll come across a, a, a young man or woman and you present to them, hey, won't you come to church with me today? And so they'll throw up something like the church is hypocritical, which is one of these ten points that Barney come across. I just didn't put it up there today, but they would say the church is hypocritical. Or they would say that, hey, our experience in the church seems a little bit too shallow. So sometimes these are just more of a smokescreen to get you know you, them off, you, you, to get you off their back. Needless to say, there is some truth to this. There is some, uh, some truth to this. For a younger generation, we need to set an example at the home and at the house of the Lord. We need to be consistent to where when mommy and daddy smiles when they sit on the pew there doing the same thing at the, at the house. When mommy and daddy says to you in the house of the Lord, don't do that, young Johnny or whoever. The Lord is watching you. And we need to make sure we're being consistent at the home, if I tell Noah and I say, Noah, the Lord doesn't like what you're doing, make sure I'm presenting that at the house as well. And being consistent in my walk. If you want to build a courageous church, we need to build a courageous and consistent home. Now the high statistic of children that teenagers that leave the church once they become the age to get out on their own and go to college is, is high. And I think part of this is because they have seen some inconsistencies in the home. Now that's not all inclusive. But I think that some of the reason is that mommy and daddy wasn't showing that they really believed what they were preaching. You want to build a courageous home? Be consistent. You want to build a courageous church that flows from a courageous home? Be consistent in your walk. And don't be hypocritical. And as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Number three, church comes across as antagonistic to science. Now on this point, I would say there is more of a misconception than there is truth. 
we would have some people that say, well, science is bogus. We don't want nothing to do with science. And I've heard other folks, even in the body of Christ, and embraces. There's even some folks that try to mesh evolution and creation together. Now, I don't necessarily want to get on all of the details of that this morning, but I will say to you that that is more of a misconception than it is truth. Now, it seems that there are those that are antagonistic to science or hates the sciences that would say that the science is of the devil. They would say science is of the devil and have nothing to do with it. And I would hope and I would present to you this morning that we do not take that stance. The early scientists in days of old were scientists. They were Christian scientists. They were scientists and they said, hey, we need a method into which we can look at God's creation. I want to examine God's creation and let's look at the handiwork of God. And so these were guys of old that were scientists that were built on the foundation that, hey, we want to look and see God's handiwork. This is the scientists I am saying that we should embrace. And number two, the Bible and science is, asked, is, is really answering two very different questions. You'll often see somebody on the evolution side and one on the creation side, when they seem to talk about it, they just kind of talk right past each other because the Bible isn't answering the question of, of creation. Now we might see in Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. God made the trees, the air, He made the stars, the moon, and so forth and so on. But more or less, Genesis 1 is telling us, and not so much about the creation as it is the Creator. Genesis 1 isn't about the creation. It is about the Creator that created everything and is Lord over all. As we read on through Scripture from creation on through Genesis, we see that this God expects something of His creation, you and I. He expects us to be holy as He is holy, and His means to that end is found in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is answering the ethical morality question. How do we now get to God? How do we get to be a friend and justified before God? And it is only through Jesus. This is something that science cannot answer. And when science begins to try to answer the question of morality, it fails miserably. So we see observable things found in science. Science looks to see the handiwork of God. And on the other hand, we see the Bible answering the question of how we can get to the Creator. How we can be a friend to God once more. And it's found in Christ. He's, they're answering two very different questions. What I say, what I advise the church to say we hate science. Absolutely not. By science we see God's handiwork. So again, this is a bit of a misconception. So how are we going to apply this to a church that needs to be courageous? Stand up. You want to build a courageous church and a courageous home? Learn how to address the heavier matters of life. So when your child comes home or your grandchild comes home and begins to, begins to ask you questions of evolution, you can say, hey, this is what the Bible is saying about that. And if we are not equipped to do that, the local body can help you be equipped to answer those hard questions that might come up. The church can help equip the saints to do that very thing in the home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will say that we don't put our hand in the sand and try to bury the hard questions that come about, but we try to answer them with integrity 
and with the scriptural basis and knowledge. If we don't have the knowledge to answer some of these questions our kids are bringing home from the public schools, especially about science and how it pertains to the Bible, I would say that you, we need to find, we need to be, get equipped. The local body and the local church can help answer some of these questions. One thing you don't want to do is when your child comes home and asks you a question that you don't know, don't try to fill in something that you do not know anything about. Say something in honesty like, well, you know what, I don't know, but let me look and let me read. Let me ask the pastor. Let me ask a teacher about how this might uh, affect the church or how this might talk about the Bible. Let me get back. Let, let's study it together. One thing that me and Noah did is uh, he, brought a, um, he brought a book home, Harry Potter book. Ooh. Harry Potter. And I got looking at that book and I kind of let him... Uh, you know, I gave him the option to read it. And I said, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll read it together. <clears throat> you go ahead and read it, and I'll read it. We're going to look and see what the Bible says about this book. You know, I don't even think he made it past. Once you make it past chapter 2, did you finish it? You didn't? <laughs> anyway, he was supposed to bring it to me. We were supposed to look at it together in light of the Bible and how Scripture answers these these questions. So there is a, there's a way in which we can engage with our, our children, even some of the hard things that, that they might bring home. Uh, the, help, the church can help us be equipped. That's what the local body is here for. We are here to help you grow. We are here to help answer some of these hard questions. Because believe you me, these young kids have some hard questions. They, they have hard questions and they expect you to answer them somehow. And it is hard. But the church can help equip the saints. That's what we're here for. To help us grow. Number four. The way church relates to sexuality is judgmental and is simplistic. And I do think at this point, uh, again, there is a bit of a misconception. But I think it would be on the problem of the body of Christ. Simply because we have a hard time addressing these matters. We have a hard time really knowing how to address these matters. The problem isn't if homosexuality is wrong, because we know what the scripture and we know what the Bible says and how the Bible condemns that. What is unnatural, the Bible would say. Speaking in Romans and in Deuteronomy, that speaks of the unnatural acts of it. But think about this. Is it any much better or any much worse than a person that lives a promiscuous lifestyle that is heterosexual and goes out and runs around on town? Goes and runs around in a womanizer? Is it any much different than that? What I think ultimately the church needs to refocus. And I think to a degree, this can be, this has some truth to it. Because we don't know how to react to it. We don't know how to react. And oftentimes we come across as being judgmental. But think about this is it also that any bit of rebuke, whether it be meek, gentle, in their eyes, would be judgmental. So that's something else to think about. But maybe if the church learned how to love these people, then I think that they may be more inclined to listen. I think of when this certain group that they carry, they have a bus, and they go around, and it's, um, I think it's gays, transgenders, whatever, and they go around to local colleges, and they, they want to have a sit-down meeting and try to come to a, some type of agreement. Well, 
They took their bus around and they came to Southeastern. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And they wanted to have a meeting with our president and a few of our professors and sit down and have a talk. Well, you can't just bust into a president of a seminary and his and, and the professors and expect to get a sit down automatically and right away. Well, what happens is that they got their little cards and they put their little protest things on it and stood out in front of the seminary, and not necessarily protesting the school, but kind of flashing their lifestyle and, you know, ultimately saying it wasn't a sin and all this and that, kind of going against the scripture, really. And what happened was that a group of students there at Southeastern made these people lunch, brought them hot dogs and a drink, and brought it to them, and began to minister to them right on the street. Wasn't saying they didn't agree with what they were doing and what they stood for, but it showed an expression that says, hey, look, we aren't, we aren't as judgmental and blockheaded as you might think. We want to love on you and minister to you in a way to which you can see Jesus Christ. Maybe it isn't so much of that. We, we already know the question of it being wrong as pertains to Scripture. It is just really protests and it really just says that we are creatures that are broken and fallen all the way around. But I think more than anything, we need to learn how to address we need to learn how to engage folks that are living in sin and to do so in meekness. And the same goes for a heterosexual male or female and any type of lifestyle, promiscuous or otherwise, living in that type of sin. The problem comes in the method in which the church has been handling the problem. You want to build a courageous church? You want to build a courageous home? ingrained within your children and grandchildren and their children's children how to engage in people who are living in a sinful lifestyle. We might come from the age of, of what you might call fire and brimstone preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. But we also come from an age where we see that people uh, will beat people over the head with the Bible instead of sitting down and engaging them with the gospel. Get them to answer the hard questions. And impress upon them the scripture. We live in that age, whether we like it or not. We need to sit down and engage these people. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The national survey found that 3% most common perceptions of the present day Christianity are anti-homosexual. An image held by 91% of young outsiders. These are what we might call sinners looking on the outside in. Those who have not professed Christianity. 91%. Judgmental. They would say the church is judgmental. That's 87%. And also say that they are hypocritical. That is another 85%. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that it is that these things are wrong. It's so much that is, is that we need to learn how to engage. Build our children in ways to engage the gospel and do so with meekness. We don't just engage to win the argument. We engage to win them to Christ. Number five... We wrestle with the exclusivity of Christianity. We wrestle with the exclusivity of Christianity. Now I think this is one of the, of all of these, this is probably one of the top areas. This is a very important point. The problem is the struggle of there being only one way to God. 
the struggle. Someone might ask you this question as pertaining to point five. Why is it that Christianity is the only way? What makes you think that Christianity is right and the other religions are wrong? The way we answer that question is in twofold. Number one, we look at the system itself. We look at Christianity as opposed to any other world religion. You'll find that even Judaism, you'll find Hinduism, you'll find Islam, all of these, even the subgroups, even the Jehovah's Witness, even the Mormons, any other world religion is by the works of their hands. That's how they think that they get to God. So you'll see Jehovah's Witness come to door and they'll meet their quotas. They come by and they knock on the door. That's how they work their way towards salvation. You might see Mormons do something similar. So any other world religion set apart from Christianity is that they work with their hands to reach God. Something you might call a modern day asceticism. Meaning they might crawl down to the street to please God or beat themselves on the back to please God or do these other kind of things to beat themselves into submission to God. And on the other side we see Christianity. Follow Christ. Christianity, we allow God to do the work. It is by grace we are saved. It is not anything within ourselves. At least we can boast. We have no reason to boast. So we would teach our children this. We would teach our grandchildren this. That it is only through Christ. And we show them why. We show them why. And also, point two to this, is that we have a relational knowledge with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows us to know that we know that we know that we know that we are saved. So we have a relational knowledge. We have a propositional truth that says Christianity is true. And we have a relational knowledge where the Holy Spirit says, yes, it is true. Yes, Jesus died for you. Yes, Jesus rose from the grave. You want to preach this in your home? Show your children why this is. Help your children to articulate why they believe that Jesus is the only way. Again, the method in which the church handled this can be indeed reformed. In telling that Christianity is the only way, equip your children, equip the church, and the saints to be able to stand and give a reason or a defense or a hope for the reason and for what they have inside, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 3, 15 would say this, and I have a few of these words underlined. It says this, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. It's only God, only the Lord. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Teach your children how to stand for what they believe. And I remember we had a VBS back home. There was a girl walking around with a video camera. And she was walking around and she was asking people. She said, uh, okay, well tell us why, why you believe in Jesus. And it struck me as odd as that none of these children could answer this question. And it struck me as odd. We need to be teaching our children why they believe what they believe. And being able to articulate why they believe what they believe. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The sixth problem, the sixth question, the church is friendly to those. They are unfriendly. It is not friendly to those that doubt. Now, I've heard personal testimony of this time and time again. Time and time again about how people were treated when they went into the church and started asking questions. 
They ask the pastor or a teacher hard questions and they automatically look at them as a person that is a hard-line skeptical person and kick them out of the church. Just because a person asks a question doesn't mean that doubt has clouded their mind so much that they can't see Christ at the end of when their questions are answered. I think of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel was a, uh, one of these atheists, these hardcore atheists, who set out on a mission to prove God and Christianity and the Bible wrong. So he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, I think, or the Sun, I believe, one of those Chicago papers, and he set out on a mission. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to investigate and I'm going to prove Christianity wrong. Well, along his journey, as his digging and research and interviewing other uh, people in the field, he came to know Jesus Christ. I think he dug and found Christ. I think he dug to that point and kept on going. He wanted to know the truth. He got the truth. He found Christ. And now he is one of these, as Peter, 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, that is ready to give an answer. What we call a, give an apology or a defense. Not to say I'm sorry, but it is a defense of what they believe. And he is one of these people. Be friendly to those that doubt. So a man comes across and asks you questions about Christianity and is sincerely looking, we are to answer him best we can. Teach our children. We must have patience. We must show gentleness and meekness. We need to be the kind of loving about everything that we do when a person asks us hard questions, even those that have doubts about our beliefs and even our experience. Have patience. And most of all, we need to have discernment. You know, the Bible tells us not to cast our pearls before the swine. There is only but so much pearls and knowledge you can pass out in front of someone. It takes a little bit of discernment to know, okay, well, the Lord is definitely not working in this person's life. We need to pack up and go on to the next. It takes discernment. You want to build a courageous church and home, teach your children and equip the saints to answer the hard questions that come our way and teach them to love those that are even in doubt. A person says, I hate God and everything about Him. We need to love that person. You never know. The Lord might dig into their heart. The Holy Spirit might call them. Don't give up on those people that you know that are in doubt. Teach your children how to love on those who even come against Christ and His church. Because that love might be just what draws them to the foot of the cross.